Today's podcast is called The Fires of Pentecost Have Not Gone Out. We often tend to think of things that God has done in the past, and we look towards those things with a deep sense of longing, praying for them to come into the modern age. I think we're living in such a time. The fires of Pentecost have indeed not gone out. God has not forsaken his people. He's not forgotten his promises. God is a good God, and he's here for us. This is Wes Ruff, and you're listening to the Revival in 2020 podcast. The fires of Pentecost have not gone out. We think that they have, but they haven't. From the power of the upper room, a fire was lit that would spread into all the earth. It would pervade the darkest of atmospheres and penetrate the lowliest of hovels. It would seek the lame, the blind, the lost, and the loose as emissaries of a great and divine kingdom, the likes of which the world has never seen and could not comprehend. But we have our ways, don't we? Our own abilities to fool ourselves into thinking that we are who we are not. We are not okay without God. We are not okay without His presence. We are not okay without His love, and only His love will do. There aren't enough men, women, drugs, or dollars in the world to satisfy the human heart the way that God and only God can. This is reality. It will never be anything other. You cannot stand in the way of God's grace and love for you in your life any more than an egg can stand in the way of a missile. And it's a good thing, too. Because, as the Bible teaches, dark forces are gathered, and they do indeed want nothing more than your destruction. They didn't come to play. They hate you because God Almighty decided that human beings were in the family. This is racial tension at its worst. But God cannot get enough of any one of us. You might be Marilyn Manson or Billy Graham. The fact remains that God sees us clearly and loves each one of us without reservation or regret. He rejoices over every hooker, every deadbeat, every liar, every thug, every homewrecker, every addict, every murderer, every thief— Simply because he cannot help himself, he simply loves and he restores. A lot of Christians will one day discover that there aren't as many people in hell as they'd hoped. A lot of atheists will one day find a plurality of reasons to put their trust in God. A lot of preachers are going to be wonderfully pleased to find out that God doesn't actually hate humanity. A lot of homeless people are going to find that their biggest advocate will do everything to love them and will honor them like no one can. In Luke 12:49 the Lord stated that he came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. The fires were kindled at Pentecost. We've thought that they've gone out but they haven't and they will return full force. And the entire world will hear of it and will return to the Lord and the nations will truly rejoice. This is where the story ends. The liars of today don't get to write the final chapter because it's been written. So it causes me to say that before my Maker and in front of those who have opposed Him, I remind those who chose poorly that the fires of Pentecost have not gone out. Revival is coming. Restoration is near. The world will again hear, remember, and return. This is our destiny. Our destiny that lies before us is not one of endless political squabbling. Believe me, I like to be political. I squabble with the best of them. But it's a bit of sport, and it's a good thing, in my opinion, to call out the lies where they exist and where they erupt in culture. But I cannot walk away from the fact that there's a restoration coming, a prophesied restoration coming of the earth and 
of the heavens, that God will restore his entire creation. The vision that God had for the Garden of Eden will come to pass. That vision was that we would be collaborating with our Father in heaven, in his will upon the earth and in his administration for his plans on this planet. Now, we did a great job of messing things up. Over the years, we've given our allegiances to various spiritual tyrants, uh, beings who do not care for us at all. They frankly hate our guts. Yet the same God who is, a, who is the same one who pursued Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the fulfillment of his promises for their lives, this same God is eagerly searching every ditch, every homeless shelter, every, every place in the woods where he might find a human being, every human being laying, going to sleep tonight, laying down underneath a bridge or an overpass. He is uh, he's seeking them. He's out for them. He wants to find them. For every single one of us as Christians who have done really well in life, maybe, and maybe we don't have any physical wants or needs, maybe we have everything that we need, and we don't know the depth of our need for Jesus Christ because physically speaking, we are satisfied. Well, he's coming looking for us too. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy the way that Jesus does. The restoration of his work in our lives and, 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 this, and the subsequent healing that his restorative work brings is worth waiting for. It's worth waiting for. I'm going to be turning 50 this year, next month actually. And there are things in my life that for the first time are starting to make sense. Things that the Lord has spoken into my life over years that that uh, never, never seemed to have a common thread. It left me mystified, trying to understand what was going on as God was continuing to work in my life. And as I approach my 50th birthday, I've discovered, discovered that what I thought were random events were not, that things are suddenly tying together in a way they did not before. And what it's taught me is that God went after the deep stuff in my life. He went after all the places where I, un, unbeknownst to myself even, where I was hiding things. He went after the places in my life that were standing in the way of his light expressing itself in the way that he might want to in me. I dare say that most of us are at that place. I think we have to start realizing that there's a chance, there's a good chance, that we're looking for a fire that we've not experienced yet. And this fire goes deeper than what some might call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It goes deeper than what others might call an infusion or infilling of the Holy Spirit. It certainly goes deeper than praying a prayer for salvation and simply hoping for the best. If we had to be honest out there, as Christians, we're starving for a touch from our Savior, from our Maker, from the dear Spirit we're starving for a touch that reminds us of who we are in Him. We're starving for those fires from Pentecost that remind us that we are alive in Jesus Christ. We're starving for those fires to come in and consume all that we've invested in that has no value, that maybe isn't holy, that is, that is not eternally rated, as it were. Are there things in my life that aren't going to make it through the fires of Judgment Day? Yeah, you better believe there are. And I cannot wait to have those things consumed. Whatever is left 
God gets the credit for. Whatever burns up, well, we all know that's my fault. I'm fine with that. The reason why I'm fine with it is that some of the things that I did the best turned out to be not so great. They Maybe they didn't have any eternal value at all. But in learning to walk with the Lord, I've discovered that the scripture verses are true, that there's no condemnation. Truly, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've experienced this. That's the truth. I've experienced God's love and his grace, and I did not have any type of merit to bring that my way. And that love and that grace gave me boldness. It allowed me to start to see that the areas in my life that I can't make make sense of, or maybe the areas in my life where I can't make recompense for, or maybe the things in my life that I can't restore, and I'm ashamed because, once again, I fell for this sin or fell for that lie, or maybe I got deceived in this area, or, or pick your poison, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We run in shame from what we have done. And I got to tell you, The enemy of our souls likes it that way. He likes us feeling ashamed. But we also need to be honest people. We can't run around pretending everything's okay when we know that it's not. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a reason why street people aren't banging down the doors of the church to get in. There's a reason why we need to pray. There's a reason why we need to walk with God. There's a reason why we need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day lives. We've got problems that we need to deal with, but there's hope. Our churches are often feeling like they're boiling down to programs, to people, to personalities. I'm not condemning any of that. We need our programs in many cases. We need people to learn to follow. We need people who can raise up leaders. We need people who can love children in churches. We need people with a heart for ministering to youth. But we also have to remember as people that when we start to feel like we're entering into a spiritual drought, we cannot fill our lives with programs. We cannot fill our lives with one more thing to do, but we can set aside the day, the time, the morning, the evening, the afternoon, a week, a month, a year, whatever it takes, we can set aside the time to start seeking the Lord and to remind ourselves of the promises that God gave us in His inspired Word. The truth of the matter is, people, you're loved. God loves you with a relentless, amazing, eternal love. You are held in the palm of your Maker's hand. And this same being who rose from the dead and encouraged the believers in the New Testament to wait for the Spirit of the Lord to fall on them, that same being is beginning to move among us in fresh ways now. Ladies and gentlemen, if I could say anything, it would be to encourage you. Be encouraged. He who keeps you neither slumbers nor sleeps. And we are beginning to see evidence, possibly, of the stage being set for a great and grand revival and awakening, maybe, the likes of which the world has never seen. Now, the Lord often keeps his own counsel. There are times where he reveals what he's doing, and then there's times where he keeps his strategy to himself. That's okay for him to do, because we need to remember that we are, in, the, in, in essence, in the middle of a spiritual war. And in a spiritual war, you don't reveal your tactics to your enemy. And so, but God also has a unique way of reaching out to us and helping us to follow him, even when we're not always sure of what he's doing. If we can learn to trust in our day-to-day, in the middle of our challenges, 
in the middle of the things that have hurt us, if we can learn to trust that God's will for our lives is good and that the temporary sorrow and suffering we have had on planet Earth is working, as the Apostle Paul said, for a greater eternal glory, if we can learn to trust in those deep moments, we will overcome. If we can learn how to let God write the story and the power of our testimonies as he has delivered us from darkness, remember in the Bible it says that they overcame him by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. What Jesus Christ has done for the world has begun to reverse the effects of sin and creation. When he rose from the dead... When he looked at Peter, the apostle at Caesarea Philippi, and said, Here in this place, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and even the gates of hell will not be able to withstand what the church is going to do. Jesus meant what he said. When he encouraged the believers to wait for the fire, for the, that empowerment to come from on high, that they must wait in Jerusalem and learn to become of one heart and mind, operating in unity. When they did, a mighty wind was heard. And nations have been disturbed ever since because the people of God, once they know they've been captured by that fire, they walk forward fearlessly. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that evil has gathered on the horizon. There's a good chance that we have all been deceived in ways we don't understand. There's a good chance that maybe we don't see the spiritual conflict as it actually is. But this is the time that we can fall on our knees before the Lord and tell him we may not know a whole lot of anything, but we are coming to the one who does. We are coming to the just and righteous judge who will not only uphold his people, but he will uphold his word. And I want to say we may be in that place where I believe it was, uh, forgive me, I'm recalling from memory here, but I believe it was Isaiah's servant who on the, on the ramparts of Jerusalem looked out at an enemy army that was engaging the city of Jerusalem in an effort to take down Israel. And the prophet asked the Lord to open the eyes of his servant so that the servant could see the forces that were arrayed, the good forces that were arrayed in the spiritual realm to fight for the people of Israel. I believe we may be in a place like that today. We think that we're seeing the end of all things. We think that we're seeing darkness, doom, and destruction. I would suggest that we allow our hearts and the narrative that is impressing itself upon our hearts to be written by the Holy Spirit. I am starting to become incredibly convinced that there's more real hope out there than we know, and I'm also becoming increasingly convinced that a great awakening is coming upon the church. There are several places in Scripture where the Bible tells us that there would come a day and a time where all the nations would hear, they would remember, and they would return to the Lord. And the Bible tells us it's all nations. We also know from the text that there will be a time where the Lord will restore both the earth and the heavens. It's important to remember that not only, do the, not only does the earth need to be restored, but the heavens do too. And you might say, how do the heavens deserve to be restored? Well, rebellion started in heaven. Somewhere, the being that we understand to be the angel of light, the being that we understand to be the devil, 
allowed something into his heart, and his heart became darkened. And we've got reason to think that there are other rebels in heaven as well. Else why would the Lord say he's going to restore the heavens and the earth? There will be a new day. And ladies and gentlemen, we may be at the threshold or getting close to it. I truthfully don't know, but I know who does. And that's my Savior. Jesus Christ has the answers. I know there are many of you out there who are in desperate straits. And many of you are struggling. And there are a number of you who feel like God has forgotten you, that you've been left to die. You have unfulfilled promises from the Lord, and you're not even sure if he exists because these promises have not been fulfilled. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be in a day of deep, deep darkness. I know what it feels like to get brutalized over and over again in one way, shape, or form or another. But let me tell you, my friends, Jesus loves you. He's not abandoned you. And he is good for his word. Whatever he, whatever he has truly told you, as God is my witness, it will come to pass in your life. There will be a day of rejoicing that will recompense you for the days of sorrow. For all of those who have lost spouses and children, maybe jobs, maybe you're just struggling to make it week to week. It's a daily battle to know how you're going to put food on the table tonight. Or maybe maybe you're wealthy. You have no concerns. The inflation in the economy doesn't bother you, and you've got enough, uh, you've got enough financial help uh, in your investments and in your savings account to weather storms like this very, very well. In either case, we all need the Lord. If you're listening and you're a millionaire, may you revert back to the hymn, the old hymn that says, I need thee every hour. I need thee. I need thee more and more. My understanding of that hymn is it was written in a time uh, with, with a lady who was, she had nothing, nothing holding her back. She had, everything was provided for her. But as she was, my understanding of the story is that as she was staring outside of her window one morning, she became deeply impressed with her need for Jesus Christ. And she composed the hymn, I need thee every hour. On the other hand, we have hymns like How Great Thou Art, or It Is Well With My Soul. The author of It Is Well With My Soul saw his family die in front of him on a steamer, a steamship. And as the steamship got just a few hundred yards from shore, his wife and his children lost their lives as the steamship exploded. And then that gentleman went back to his house in his grief and began to pen the words, It Is Well With My Soul, where he said, when he, where he talked specifically about how things, when they come his way, like sor- and sorrows like deep billows roll, he said, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Ladies and gentlemen, we've all suffered. We've all been brutalized by, in one way, shape, or form or another by what we did not know or do not know. But the, he who keeps Israel doesn't slumber on the job. He's coming for his people. He will raise us up. We will walk with him in truth and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will take his people and we will walk across this world. And he will use us to bring restoration to this planet. I think it's important that we need to remember that when the Lord comes back for the second time, 
there's in the original tongue of scripture, there's a deep implication that the people of God are the ones who are in many cases called to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and to prepare planet Earth for the arrival of the Lord. Whatever that may end up looking like, I don't think we know exactly at this point. I know for a fact that we have many, many sermons, books, study guides, study companions, all sorts of things that have been written to talk on this subject. We've tried to derive as much information from the book of Revelations as we can. But I want to suggest that the moment-by-moment impact, influence, and leading of the Holy Spirit is every bit as important as reading the inspired Word of God. I think it's every bit as important as reading the inspired Word of God. And so I would suggest that we need to come on our knees to our King, rejoice in the friendship He has given us, tell Him we don't know what's going on, but we can trust His leading and we are willing to learn how to follow and be His agents of change in the midst of the darkness that inhabits the world today. Things are not over yet, ladies and gentlemen. Let me encourage us all, rouse yourselves, awaken. As the text says, awaken, because a great and mighty light is going to shine into our hearts and is going to lead us into places we have not known and that we have not seen. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to come. He's going to speak. He's going to collectively lead us, and he's going to individually lead us, and he's going to bring unity to his church. I don't know how, and I don't know when, But I believe that a great move of God is coming into the earth. I do not believe our time is up yet. And this move of God will be restorative. It will bring justice. It will call out the evil and identify it. It will bring prudent, law-abiding responses where it's needed. And the Lord will uphold not only the rule of law, but the light that has been placed in this nation since its inception. Let me encourage you. I know it's dark. The Lord is with you. He has not forsaken you. He's not forgotten you. I I have to say this over and over and over again. He's got our backs. I don't know where your pain is, but wherever your pain might be, if you can take it from me, if you can trust what I'm telling you, I've found the Lord in the middle of my pain. It's been months since I've recorded anything or done anything with this online ministry But I was in a deeper type of a process than I knew, and I had to take time away, and I'm sorry that I did it unannounced. But I've learned I have been learning how to find the Lord in my pain. And ladies and gentlemen, he is there with you that you may know him. As Columbia Bible College says at one time, I don't know if it still holds true today, but their their motto was to know him and make him known. Draw close to the Lord. He'll restore you. Draw close to your king, he will heal you. Draw close to the one who loves you and knows you in a way that you don't even know yourself. He's mighty, he comes to save, and he is not asleep. To the liars and the enemies in the world who have come against Almighty God and his kingdom, you know that your time is short. You've brought fear into the lives of many people. But the Lord is the God of peace. He's not the God of chaos. He's not the God of confusion. In fact, he is over all of those things. His will, his way will have final say. And to the evil beings out there, may the Lord bring your judgment. We don't have to. He will. 
but you will find us standing as heralds of a great and good kingdom, and we are not going to be quiet about it. May God bless you. May God lead you. May God teach you. May you find all the riches of his grace and that magnificent heart of his, and may you know that you are loved. God be with you. Thank you for listening to the Revival in 2020 podcast. For more information about the ministry, please visit revivalin2020.org.